Thanks, Phil. Good morning. So good to be with you today. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Gary, and I'm one of the pastors on staff. Thanks back there in the cheap seats. Appreciate that. <laughs> so good to be back here in Thornton. I got to be a part of the start of this campus for Calvary, but most of my time is spent at the Erie campus. But I get to come and open up the Word and share a little bit of kind of what God's been teaching me uh, throughout this this uh, study in the book of James. So I'm glad you're here this morning. If you didn't get one of those journals on the way in, you should kind of get one now. It won't bother me if you get up and grab one. Uh, I'd love for you to have it so you can kind of mark it up. As we study the book of James, that's one of the things that we want to do. We want to highlight, circle, take notes, really kind of mark up our Bibles so we have a better understanding of what God is saying to us and how we can learn how to study God's word more together. It's so fun to hear Lorna share. I mean, come on, friends. Don't you just love Lorna and her uh, heart for the kingdom of God? It's so cool. I'm so thankful for her. On this team, she plays an incredible role. She teaches the young ones English and the, and the older parents. She's working really hard to get them to understand English. The team's phenomenal. But like Lorna said, there's three teams. We were thinking like 15, 27, after, actually 28, because one of the families is now pregnant here. So there's 28 Afghans that we're caring for as a total church at our three at our locations. And as well, um, it's just fun to see how God is at work in the lives of those families. Another thing that we kind of been talking a little about is the initiative to care for those who have been impacted by the Marshall Fire. I just want to give you a little update. As a church at Boulder, Erie, Thornton Online, over 80 people have said, I want to, I have relationships, I want to help, I'm going to step in at all of our locations uh, with over 105 families that they're caring for, and we're giving away over $150,000 so far. So that is so that's you as the church is doing that. You're impacting lives. You're making a difference for the kingdom of God. And that's one of the things I love about the book of James is I really feel that it calls us to action, right? That's what I keep thinking about as I study this book is like there is something that is required of me that now that I have to do. And I feel it in my bones as I keep reading and studying and thinking, okay, Lord, what is it that you're calling me to? So I pray that this morning as we open the word, as we go through it, that the word of God will penetrate our hearts and help us conform to the likeness of Jesus. So I'm going to try to use this iPad. I did okay in the first hour, a few spelling mistakes, had to go back a few times, but we'll do better this time. And uh, we're going to mark this up. And so I want to remind us where we are in the book of James. So if you want to look at um, the verse two, because this is a really important verse for what we're going to talk about this morning. And last week, uh, Zach did a great job kicking off the series but it says this, count, so that's an important thing, count or consider it all joy, my brothers, and I would probably make a big box around when, because it's not if, but it's when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may become perfect and complete, 
lacking nothing. So that's what we want to remember. So this is kind of the cycle that we can kind of choose to do. So I'm going to write this word here, and I'm going to call to say trials, right? Right there in the middle. And there's two ways that we can go when we think about trials. We can kind of work through it and learn how to endure. And when we endure, it's going to produce, I guess, formation. And when we're being formed, it's going to move us to joy in our life that brings us back to probably more trials. Let's just be honest. And in that, we become complete, mature, whatever word you want to put there. That's, that is one cycle we can take. We can learn how to endure. Then we're formed in the likeness of Christ. We experience joy, more trials, and it helps us be complete. Or we can go the other direction, right? And that direction is probably, oh, ignore. See, there's that spelling thing. Ignore, and then we move to, oh, probably oh, we want to ignore it. So we run from it. We hide. We don't want to deal with it. Uh, we, we escape the reality of it. And then we try to find some sort of relief. And then that brings us back to trials. And so we ignore the problem. We ignore the hardship. We don't want anything to do with it. We escape the reality. We kind of hide from it. We find some sort of relief in other ways, whether that's, oh, immersing ourselves in some activity, whether that's kind of uh, going to a substance, if it's watching Netflix. And when we do that, we kind of then are left being empty or lacking. But the goal is that we would grow and mature and become like Christ. That's the hope and the desire for us. Look at what um, Romans 5, 3 through uh, 5 says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through his Holy Spirit who has been given to us, right? Suffering, when we suffer, then we have to endure. When we endure, it produces character, and character produces hope. That's what we're working towards. That's the idea of this passage that we're going through. So I want you to hold on to this as we continue to go through it. Because remember, even when we studied the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the Father of God. That's where it is. He worked through this hardship so that we can be in his presence for eternity. And so our job is we want to grow to be able to count it all joy. Now, let's just be frank and honest. I don't know if we can count it joy in the midst of our trials. I think it's really, really difficult. I think the goal is to grow, to endure, to get to a point where we're like, I want to be more like Jesus, and I, I see 
why I went through that and how it helped me to become mature, complete, lacking in nothing. So let's now go to James 1 verse 5, our text for this morning. It says this, if any of you lacks, okay, you might want to circle that word lacks, wisdom. Okay, two big ideas here, lacks. Lacks kind of is the idea of if you don't have, if you're missing, if you don't have enough. So if you are not adequate in wisdom, which wisdom, I got to be honest with you, my friends, that I don't feel like I have a lot of it. I don't know about you, but like life comes at you fast, and every time I'm expected to make decisions, I feel very inadequate all the time. And so I feel lacking wisdom really speaks to my heart. And so I want to understand what does that mean? So what is wisdom? And so wisdom kind of, or how we get it is described in a couple ways. Proverbs 1.7, which many of you might know, is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Fools despite wisdom and instruction. And then in Proverbs 2, 6, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Wisdom is learned over time. We gain, we grow in wisdom. Jesus, it says in Luke 2, 52, increased or he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and men. Wisdom go hand in hand. We have met those people who are incredibly intelligent, yet have very little common sense. I remember playing football in high school, and we were in the film study room after a game and looking over all the things that had happened, and there was this guy on our team who was incredibly smart. He was going to Harvey Mudd, and you know, just one of those guys, it, back in my day, like he was like a 4.2 student. I know now that if you're not a 4.8, it's kind of nothing. But in my day, 4.2 was unheard of. And this guy was ultimate, he was just crazy smart. And we're sitting in films and he does some bonehead play. And I remember my coach like throwing a pin at the film screen saying, you're the dumbest smart person I've ever met. Right? We understand that there's sometimes who are so intellectual, they have a hard time with common sense. And then there's those people who have very little book sense, but have a ton of street sense. But what we're hoping for is when they're combined, that's what wisdom really is. When the two come together and you're able to know how to apply knowledge to life. There's a great story about Henry Ford and Tesla. Now, Tesla went and visited Ford's factory which Ford was having some difficulty with one of his uh, machineries. And so Ford asked Tesla if he could help identify the problem. Tesla walked around the whole factory, looked at different things, found a boilerplate that he he knew where the problem was, and he put a small X on the area where the problem was. And they looked at that and were able to fix it. Ford was thrilled and told him to send an invoice. So Tesla sent him an invoice, and the bill arrived for $10,000. That's all it said. Ford, Ford said, I need a better breakdown than that. Tesla sent another invoice that said $1 for, indicating, for writing an X on the boilerplate, $9,999 knowing where to put the X. <laughs> Ford paid the bill. 
Wisdom is more than knowledge. It is the ability to put knowledge into practice to guide, direct, and care, and help those who are in need. In our own lives, wisdom is a tool we use to help our relationships, to make advancements, to, to lead our families, to care for others in our lives. Wisdom is what we need to endure trials because we need a godly wisdom, a godly perspective. That is the only way we can get to the point where when these hard times, we will consider it pure joy. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 says this, and many of you know 3, 5, and 6, but I want you to pay special attention to verse 7. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your your, your make straight paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. To get that, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refresh your bones. Be not wise in your own eyes. So often we look to ourselves to solve problems. And so here we go back to the test. The text. If any of you lack wisdom, what are we called to do? We are called to ask God. Right? That's, if you lack wisdom, you ask God. Eugene Peterson translates this verse in the message. says, if you don't know what you are to do, pray. Pray. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. We all come to points in our life when we don't know what to do, how to act, or how to respond. It's just a reality, and so our job is to ask God. I think about when else did this happen in Scripture. And I think about an instant with one of God's sermons, King Solomon. I don't know if you know, remember King Solomon, but he was a great man early in his life. He had some rough parts at the end, but he really was a man who sought after the Lord. So if, I don't know if you remember the story, but King David was his, his father, and King David reigns. He's a, he's a, he's a king of... I guess, war, and Solomon's going to become a king of peace. And Solomon is a remarkable man, and he deserves further study in our life. But there was an old adage about Abraham Lincoln that was said that when the tree was down, it was only then that it could accurately be measured. And they were talking about his life and the accomplishments that he had. I think that's the same about King Solomon. When we're able to look back and see what happened in his life, we can see all that he was able to do um, and all that he impact, impacted. And so when his tree fell, we were able to assess his life. During his lifetime, he was an author, a diplomat, a poet, a writer, a king, a theologian, a philosopher, an architect, an, injure, an engineer, a man of royal blood. His life was unparalleled to others in that day. In this brief span of life, all that he was able to accomplish was unbelievable. It's so hard to measure everything that he was able to do. 
And so if you want to follow along with me in your Bible, we'll come back to James in a minute, but you can turn to 2 Chronicles 1-7. This is the time when the Lord comes to Solomon and says, Solomon, ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God this, this is in verse 8, you have shown great steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be fulfilled, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. 10. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people, for you can govern this people of yours, which is so great. So this is what Solomon asked for. He asked for wisdom. Out of everything, power, long life. He says, I need wisdom because I don't have all the answers. If anyone lacks wisdom, what should he do? Ask. And then in the life of Solomon, as we're able to see after this request, not only does God grant him wisdom, but God also grants him riches, possessions, and honors such as none of the other kings had and were before him and none after him. So God wanted to generously give him so much more because his heart was pure and he wanted to serve and care for his people. The desire of his heart was to be a servant to the people. A guy named Frederick Owen writes this about Solomon. Solomon ruled by a combination of moral and military strength. He formed alliances with most of the surrounding nations, even enemies, and he protected the caravan routes. He built a fleet of ships to engage in trade with distant countries. He brought peace and plenty to his subjects until every man sent un sat under his own vine and fig tree in perfect security. Solomon's wisdom was displayed in many aspects of his life the way he governed, the way he led, the way he cared for his people, the way he was able to guide God's people during that time. His request was to be wise, and God granted his request more than he could have ever asked for. Solomon asked out of pure motives, and God generously uh, gave him wisdom. So how do we get wisdom? Well, I think it goes back to the text here, is that we ask God who gives generously. And you might want to underline that. God gives generously without reproach. And who does he give generously? To all, right? To all. There's no other, I guess, qualifications. It says to all who request without approach. So this is, you want wisdom? Couple ways. Three things that I kind of wrote down is number one is you ask, and we'll go over these a little bit. Number two is you trust in the Lord wholeheartedly. And number three is you don't, you're not double-minded. So let's, let's talk about what does it really mean to ask for it. Um, 
that you ask in confidence, knowing that God gives generously. This is part of God's character, is that he wants to bless his people. It isn't a bother to him. He's, he doesn't think you're needy. He, isn't, you don't, he doesn't think you're annoying. He wants you to come to him and to be dependent on him, for him to work in your life. He, he, he wants you to come in, in, your, in your time of need because he doesn't want you to rely on your own strength and your own power and your own might. The Lord wants to give that to you. He wants to give it to you generously where that you are blown away about all that God can do. I personally am working with Lorna in the Afghan family situation and to see the way God continues to bless this family and give generously is unbelievable as we ask him for different things. I mean, the agency we worked for, friends, said there is no way you can find a home for this family. We've only had one other person do it in the last few years. And you're not going to be able to keep all 12 of them together. And we said, well, I don't know. I think our God's pretty big. We better just pray. And I'm telling you, we started praying. And a couple days later, we had a house that we could look at. And not only that night, we signed the deal and we were able to get them in within like a week because our God is so big. And when we don't have wisdom, we're called to ask. He wants to generously bless his people. It's so fun to be a, a part of how God blesses his people. And so how does wisdom come? How does wisdom come to God's people? I, I see it in three ways in my own personal life, and I see it throughout Scripture as well. The way wisdom comes is, number one, it's through his word. Right When we read his word, when we study his word, when we dissect his word, when we go to his word, he guides and directs us. He, 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 he shows us how we're supposed to live our life. I also see that wisdom comes through his people, right? That when we are connected to the body of Christ, when we're in a life group, when we seek wise counsel, that wisdom is given from other people in our lives and they're able to help and direct and guide you. I also see it through his promises or the experiences that I've had to understand the faithfulness of his promises, right? That God is faithful, that he's working, that what he says is going to be true. He's faithful in our lives. And like I see that over and over again. And when I read his word, things align. And it helps me stand firm on what I know, and then I'm able to trust Him more. And so when I have these experiences in my life, I, I take them into my heart, and then I'm able to kind of go back to them and live them out at a different time. And so God gives us wisdom through His Word, through His people, through His promises, the experiences that we have to, to understand how faithful He is. So that's how we, we get wisdom. We ask, and then he gives it to us through his word, people, and promises. The second thing is we want to do it wholeheartedly without doubting. This is a really important thing, that we want to ask in faith, and we do not want to doubt. Look back here to the, the text. It says, oh, um, but let him ask in faith, circle that, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Oh, that imagery is so real to me. 
Those of you who might not know this, but many years ago, we used to have a camp in Kansas that we ran as a student ministry. And so every summer, I would spend six or seven weeks out at this lake in Milford, Kansas. And it was so much fun. We had a whole bunch of different activities there. We had like a blob and a water trampoline. We had mountain bikes, kayaks, paintball. This place was just like one of the best places. But it's in Kansas, so I'll talk about that in a little bit. But one of the pieces of equipment we had was we called it an iceberg because it's this giant white like mountain looking thing. It was 15 feet tall, about 18 feet wide. And on one side, you would climb up to the top and then you could jump off the backside or slide down it. Kids just had a blast on that thing. But in Kansas, sometimes there's what we call come to Jesus storms, right? Where there's storms that are pretty scary that you make sure you're right with the Lord when the wind comes whipping through. And I can remember one time the wind came from like three different directions, converged on us, and all of a sudden that iceberg act like a sail, right? And it kind of just snapped the anchors and that thing just took off down the lake, going wherever the wind blew it right? You know what that picture's like. And so we're just watching it go wherever it's going to go and hoping like it doesn't get destroyed. And, and there's nothing we can do. That is what it's talking about, about when you are doubting being tossed by the waves. Instead, we want to be like a vessel that has a rudder. And so in the midst of these troubles and hardships, we're still able to stay the course. And so I know it seems like, well, I have doubts as a Christian. Yes, you do, and you will. But what it's being talked about here is that we can have doubts and simultaneously still have faith. Remember the man who asked Jesus directly, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. James is not talking about intellectual doubt. He's talking about someone who isn't fully committed to the Lord. Someone who's trying to live in two different spaces because they don't want to fully surrender their life to Christ. They're living in two different camps like, oh, I want to live this way. I'm not sure. Oh, I don't really want to trust full-heartedly here. So as a follower of Christ, we need to surrender our entire life to him. That's what it means that we don't want to doubt. So we want to we want to ask the Lord. We don't want to be doubt. We want to fully trust in him. And then number three, it says, do not be double-minded here at the end. And this idea of being the double-minded man is someone um, who is two different people, meaning they're following the way of the world and they're trying to follow God's way. And we know that doesn't always go well and sync up very good. So the wisdom of the world says, look out for yourself, achieve at all costs, steamroll over others to get your way. This is sometimes where I tend to go when I lean on my own understanding. I'm wired in such a way that through, I want to do things on my own strength, my own power. But I got to remember, I need to put my trust in the Lord and I need not to hurt others despite of what God's doing in me. And this then is what James 3 13 through 18 says, so if you want to flip over in your journal, I want, to, I want to take us to where it talks about the double-sided man. See, God is the single-sided idea. He's always consistent, always the same. But here in, in chapter 3, we have the double-sided man. So 3, 13, who is wise and understanding among you? 
So verse 13 and 17 and 18 kind of talk about, I would say, um, uh, wisdom from above. Above. And I guess verses earthly. So, T-A-C. So wisdom from above and earthly wisdom. And wisdom from above is described like this. You will know by his good conduct, let him show you his work in meekness. And then it goes down to 17 and 18. But wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So wisdom from above, you see in his good conduct, and you see in the meekness, and then you see it down here as it's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, all those qualities. This idea of good, good conduct, that is the way someone lives their life. They have a godly character. The measure of a wise individual, individual is how much change takes place in them on a regular basis. Do you catch that? Someone growing in godly wisdom is working on themselves, trying to become more like Christ on a regular basis. The idea of here of meekness in wisdom, sometimes we think of meekness as someone that we don't want to be about around. They don't have a lot of good qualities, but meekness in this context is this incredible idea of being under control. It's, it's a picture of a wild horse being tamed meaning that that horse has all the strength and the spirit of a wild animal, yet it is under control. This idea of, of meekness is, um, in Plato's day, this word was used for a professor who was able to debate his students without putting them down, that he was able to listen and invite dialogue and to hear ideas and, and to know what his, out, what his belief was, but he didn't belittle the students below him. That's the position of meekness here. It's this something that is soothing. And we know what that's like here in Colorado in these withered winter months is you get that ointment or lotion on our dry skin and you place it on you and it brings healing because of the, the way the weather impacts us. That's what this idea of meekness is. It's that it was under control. It was um, caring and it brought health. That's what this idea of live, of wisdom from above is that our perspective is different. And so we bring peace and we bring pure, pure and gentle. We're open to reason. That's what wisdom from above is. And then there's wisdom that's from the earth, earthly wisdom, which is filled with bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Um, it comes from below. It's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Those were the type, that's the difference, right? And when we think about that being double-minded, like, okay, which camp am I going to run in? Am I going to run in the camp that is what God is about, how he's calling me to live, or am I going to go in the earthly camp? And man, we see it all the time when we're following leaders and we see the difference between someone who's trying to follow and serve the Lord versus someone who is seeking um, things for their own self. So how do we endure? How do we get to the point where we, we don't lack anything? Because that's the goal, right? In the midst of our trials, we want to get to joy so that we can be mature and complete. 
Wisdom is something that we seek. It's we pursue. And that's what James is challenging us towards. On, uh, on Thursday, I flew back to California for a funeral. And uh, I went there because this was, this was a lady I'd known when I was a young kid. Uh, I, I was probably in my... I've known her my whole life, but she showed up when I was probably seven or eight years old. Uh, they were in my family's life group. They ended up living two's down, two doors down from us. And so we just had this relationship all our lives with this incredible woman. And then I was sitting there in the funeral thinking about her life, friends, and just who she was. And what I remember is they had a lot of trouble and a lot of hardship in their life. Finances were always really tough for them. They actually lived with us and our family for over a year at one point, and then they actually came back at another point and lived with us again. And so I saw that. I saw this constant struggle actually their whole life, even in retirement, in their later years. Just they, they couldn't live in the area that they were at, and they had to move to this small town um, called Lone Pine in Northern California just because of just the way they were. And so I know money was always tight for them. I didn't really understand it at the time, but they weren't able to have kids of their own. And we know that journey can be so difficult and what they had to endure going through that. And so they were, God provided for them and they were able to adopt kids. And those kids were around my age. One was a little older, one was a little younger. And this son, I'm telling you, he is one of the most crazy people I have ever met in my whole life. And he really wanted nothing to do with God. And this, these are the true stories. He is an extreme climber. He goes to Patagonia all the time. He actually takes pictures for that company, Patagonia, cr- crawling those, climbing those rocks. He does El Capitan. I mean, he sleeps on you know El Capitan all the time because that's just what his life. He surfs big, huge, giant waves. If you've ever seen Warren Miller ski videos, like he's the guy doing the extreme. I mean, his life is all about himself, living this adventure. He even became a, a captain of a yacht. That's part of what he does so he can drive big yachts all over. I mean, just this life that I don't fully understand. And he kind of lived for himself. And his mom prayed for him and loved for him and just had this deep desire and anguished over some of those high school years. I remember the the tension that they had. And he still doesn't know the Lord, friends. They had a daughter as well. And this daughter was a sweet young lady who, who got cancer at a really young age. And the cancer just kept eating away and they would try to fix it and it just didn't go well. And, if, and, and let me tell you this, this girl, she loved Jesus and the pain was so bad and so much that she ended up taking her life. And I think about this lady and what she went through in her life and we show up to the funeral and can I just tell you, it never felt like a funeral and I've been to a lot of funerals. I, I really have. And it was like a family reunion a half an hour before the service starts, I get there and the people in the room are so excited to see each other and like, ah, oh, they're just embracing one another, just talking about life. I don't even think we were talking about Margaret Huckabee. We were just together because that was such a big part of Margaret's life was the community of people and how she got people to interact and, and her sweet passion and joy. And then, because I understand how funerals are supposed to, supposed to go, you know, it's supposed to start and 
It's not starting yet. And it's been about five minutes or five minutes late. I'm like, oh, it's Southern California. Lots of traffic, right? So they're letting people show up. 10 minutes late. Wow, they're must letting a lot of people. Then I realized the pastor, he's starting to get really nervous making phone calls. The sound technician doesn't show up for the thing. And so we're a half an hour late, friends. No one cares. There's so much joy in the room. No one cares that nothing's starting on time. They're just so glad to be there. And you go through the service, not one mention of the hardships or troubles in this lady's life. Never once was that mentioned. You want to know why? She was so filled with joy and passion and what Christ had done in her life. No one was mentioning the hardships that they went to because her perspective was very different. I, she lived in such a way that was full of wisdom, that was connected to God's word. One person got up and she made this statement. She's, she's like, I grabbed Margaret's Bible and I was reading through it and, and she underlined or she lived what she underlined. And she like, gave us like five passages of what her Bible had underlined. And she'd say, this is how Margaret lived because she underlined it. She lived what she underlined. It was just unbelievable. And she loved God's word and she loved people. She had community around her. And so in this whole thing, I'm saying this is such a wise woman because all these trials came. That was not what her life was about. Her life was realized that it was just a vapor, a small blip on the radar in the eternity, right? And so she lived with this wisdom and understanding that her life was about the kingdom of God and what she did here was for him. And once she was gone, it didn't matter anymore. Friends, that's the type of life that I want to be live because it was such an incredible blessing to understand that Margaret was this godly woman. She was humble. She was passionate. She was connected to God's word. She walked in God's truth of God's wisdom. She had an incredible community around her and the experiences of her trial didn't define her because she was defined as a child of God living in his truth. When it comes to trials, friends, ask God for wisdom. We need his wisdom. We need godly wisdom to find our way through the difficult times. Without wisdom, we cannot successfully grow into that complete, mature person and be able to count it as joy. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that we get to gather as your church here this morning. I thank you that we get to hear your word. And Father, I pray that what was spoken here was from you, Lord. And if it wasn't, would you remove that from the minds of the people in here, Lord? But would we hear your truth that you have for us, Lord? Would we be men and women who seek, pursue, and ask for wisdom? Wisdom from above, not this earthly wisdom, Lord. Wisdom that comes from you, that allows us to live a life that would point people to you and would allow us to demonstrate a meekness, a humility that only can be described as men and women who love and follow you. We love you, Lord, in your name.